This is a production of the Z Talk Radio Network. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Z Talk Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors. Wow. It's dark. Well, let's have some light on the subject. Put on your critical thinking caps and please refrain from hugging. It's time for Dimland Radio with your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Hello and welcome to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Remember, I'm not really a doctor. I just play doctor online. So there's a podcast that I listen to, and I've been listening to it for uh, quite a while now. It's called The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. Yes, I know I've mentioned it before in this show, but I'm going to mention it again because it's my show, and that's what I do. Talk about things, right? Okay, so there you go. Uh, anyway, um, I'm talking about this one in particular because uh, they did an, a special episode recently. Um, if you haven't heard the special episode, you may want to skip ahead here a little bit uh, for me not to spoil it, but uh, I'm going to talk about it anyway. The uh, Let's see. The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe podcast started, I believe, in 2005, and they were the first skeptically-themed podcast uh, to exist followed shortly after by a podcast called Skepticality. I used to listen to Skepticality. I don't listen to it anymore. Just got... I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I just... I did nothing against the podcast. Just started to get... Uh, I, I just didn't... wasn't uh, wasn't tripping my trigger uh, as it, when it, the way it used to. Maybe I'll go back to it. I don't know. But uh, the Skeptic's Guide... Uh, I've been pretty pleased with that podcast because it's really well done and uh, it does skepticism well it does science promotion well uh and uh yeah and they have um well let's see there's there's five people that deal that that run that podcast or you know create that podcast it's hosted by dr steven novella steve novella he is an actual doctor. He really is a doctor. Uh, I don't even think he plays doctor online. Uh, he, he's a neurologist, uh, so he's, he's an actual medical doctor. And uh, he has his uh, uh, two of his brothers, Bob and Jay, uh, a friend of theirs uh, named Evan Bernstein, longtime friend, and they have a young woman on there named Kara Santamaria, and she joined the show relatively recently, but I think it's been a few years now. And she's great. She slipped right into the cast really well, and she's she's terrific. They're all really good. Show started with a fellow named Peter DeAngelis as a, one of the one of the co-hosts. He was a good friend of uh, Steve's for a long time. He died uh, at a fairly young age. He had a chronic condition that he was pretty certain was going to take his life at a young age. Anyway, he kind of knew that was going to happen, but you know, you do what you do. And uh, and that was you listen to the podcast, you hear that happen, and people that come to the podcast uh, now, 
and 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 for years have been going back and listening to the old uh, the old shows if they're completists like I am uh, or like I tend to be uh, and then they get to the point where Peter dies <laughs> and then they think what what uh, or Perry not Peter Perry Perry dies and it's just it's it's heart wrenching and and that's the that's the nature of podcasts because the way they you can for the most part you can just grab an old episode you can't do that with actual terrestrial radio most in most cases they might have some best of cds or something might be on, on online these days but usually it's just a show that's on and then it's done and that's it it's done uh you don't you can't go back to it uh in most cases well, all right, and then uh, they also had a young woman on the show for quite some time. Her name was Rebecca Watson. She was a she was a good contributor to the show at some point, she, though she decided to leave. And Kara came in. They brought Kara in, and I really, I, it's hard for me to think of the show now without Kara, and it's hard to remember this. I, I do remember Rebecca on there and her contribution to it. Usually, it was dirty jokes, but she still she had some contribution to the show, more than just that. But uh, anyway, it's a great, it's a really nicely done podcast. And they sometimes will do their show in front of a live audience. And uh, although that's pretty rare, and on even rarer occasions, they will do their podcasts from uh, different locations, um, such, such as Australia, which is where this particular show uh, was recorded in Melbourne, uh, Australia. I hope I said Melbourne, Melbourne, Melbourne properly it's not melbourne it's melbourne melbourne i don't know i'm not australian I don't, i'm sure i'm not saying it exactly right but uh anyway they were there recently uh back in january and they recorded this particular show which was an experiment they were doing and they didn't say they were doing an experiment they just they just did it I'm sure they told the live audience what they were going to do, so that the audience wouldn't be reacting weirdly. But uh, so it was their their show number 762. Uh, to put that in perspective, this show that I'm doing right now is my 444th show. That's 444. Uh, numerologists, uh, you know, put your calculator calculators away. Um, it's so they've done a lot of shows. And the way it opens up, uh, there's the theme music, and then Steve Novella comes on. And he says, you know, welcome to the Skeptics Guy of the Universe. I'm your host, Steve Novella. And he, he tells the audience the, the date that they're recording the show. And I believe it was, uh, this particular one was, uh, well, it was in January. So whatever day of January it was, he says it's January something, 2035. And then he says, am I, you know, and then he introduces the, the rogues and, and all that. And I was listening to it while I was cleaning, and I stopped and I said, "Wait a minute, what year did he say it was?" <laughs> and I, I backed it up, listened to it again. He says, "You know, January something or other, uh, 2035." I said, "2035." He did say 2035. Uh, I thought, "Okay," and then I started listening, and um, I remembered that I saw there was a reaction or two on Facebook about it. They didn't say exactly what was going on, but there was a, you know, like, like I think one person said they didn't care for it. Uh, others thought it was interesting, but there was a 
something. So I, I that brought that memory back. And so what they did was a, an entire show done the way they do their normal shows, you know, just uh, news items. Uh, you know, one member, one co-host will talk about a news item, and then, or or Steve will talk about a news item, and then they will, uh, and then they will discuss it, and and then they, you know, they'll you know, move on to another news item and discuss it, and and then they have uh, t toward the end of the show they have a segment called science or fiction, uh, and that is where usually it's three news items that uh, have something to do with uh, science in some way, and the the ideas or the you know they just. Uh, two items are true, and one item is something that's that was made up, and so the Steve will do, does most of those, you know, runs most of those uh, games, uh, and then the others will have to pick out which of the stories is not true, which is fiction, and and so that he does that, and then there's a. Um, there's a quote at the end of the show. Uh, oftentimes, there's a sound that gets played. Uh, that's a Jay's thing. He'll he'll find some sound and sh see if he'll play it, and people listen and try to identify what the sound is. They didn't do that on this show, so uh, but they but they did have a quote at the end. So it was other. It, it more or less it went in the same direction that any of their podcasts would go. Uh, this was in front of a live audience, so the, the audience is reacting. You can hear some laughing, some clapping, some stuff like that going on. And um, it, and, it, they, and I say that the audience must have been in on it because they were not reacting like, huh? What? What year? Huh? They weren't doing that. Uh, so they must have been in on what was going on. And it was done in the perspective of this is... Uh, it's the year 2035. They've been doing the podcast for, for 30 years, and they're they're talking about what would be news items, science news items, that might be going on in 15 years from now. And of course, that they they, they start talking about climate change, and where they 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 were and how they were doing the show. They were. They were essentially predicting what their what the world what might be like in 2035, but they're talking about it as though this is what the world is like, you know, as if it's happening. Uh, and I thought that was kind of cool. And they were talking. Well, there were a couple of things they said about climate change becoming a uh, even bigger thing in 2035. It says that uh, that there are wildfires almost constantly in in California and in Australia. Uh, they talk about how um, hurricanes are now, uh, or you know, in 2035, hurricanes are almost always Category Five. This is that there's hardly any that are smaller than that. And they talk about other aspects of climate change problems. Uh, they brought up something interesting about how it was not the world governments that come together to figure out how do we combat climate change, how do we make changes, and how we you know how we fuel our economies. We got to get off fossil fuel. We got to do something better. How do we do that? Uh, it, it's not the governments because the governments are still screwing up. Uh, they can't work together. It's the corporations that come up. This is what they're saying. These you know, like IKEA comes up with a slogan saying, "We got this." Uh, as you know, because corporations realize their their customers. Are not, are, you know, their bottom line is going to be affected because of climate change. So they should be doing something about. 
All right, so that's how the show went, and it was, uh, it was, it was really well done. I gotta say, I was, I was pretty impressed on how they did it. I don't know if they rehearsed it. I don't know if there was any kind of a script that they went with, or however, because it really felt as though they were doing a normal show. Except, well, you know, if I were to grade it, if I were to give grades, and I give grades on like three aspects of the show. Um, you know, the idea, I'd give an A+. plus. What a great idea. Just to, here's what you might be hearing. And it's something that's going to be there, right? So 15 years from now, they could pull that show up, if they're still doing one, or people could, and 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 listen to it and see how accurate they were. They're, they were essentially making predictions of what it's going to be like in, the, in 15 years down the road. And they could listen and see, how close are we? to the things that we were conceiving of on this on this special show. So there's that. And so I thought, what a great idea. That's A+. A+, great idea. Um, as far as the, the content, again, A+. They picked out you know, like climate change. They picked out um, you know, the uh, potential of uh, asteroid impact with the planet and how to deal with that. And they were talking about it as though there is, they have, you know, NASA or the world governments their science divisions or have spotted an asteroid that has a I think they said something like a 33 percent chance of hitting the earth and so now they're having to deal with it and they and they know when it will hit the earth if it does and it's 20 years further down the road and and how they're going to deal with it and the confidence is high that they're going to be able to to affect the pathway of the of the asteroid and they talk about the ways of doing that I thought that was really well done uh, the science or fiction seg segment was something current, uh, but it, it, it was about um, I think it was about psychology, uh, and and so it was it was current, uh, but it would feel uh, still it would feel like it would work in a show 15 years down the road. If just but it, but it, I, I got the impression that this, the information they were giving us is current stuff. Uh, a quote was um, um, was made up. Uh, Evan Bernstein does the quotes, and he does a, a made-up quote from somebody who who um, uh, was one of the first residents of uh, the Neil Armstrong colony on the moon. Uh, so they're predicting that kind of stuff. Uh, so I thought the content was great, A plus, and the uh, uh, execution. I'm dinging it just a little bit, just a tiny, the tiniest bit of a ding on the execution because um, as I said they, they, they it seemed to f flow almost just like a regular show except they seemed a little amped up in their conversation they seemed um, I, it, it was it's hard to express uh, I, I know I found myself a couple few times pausing the podcast and just to go whoof Oof, you know, just to take a pause, and I was thinking, guys, take a breath, you know, slow down, because <laughs> it seemed like it was just, just, just an, a tad on the urgent side. There's just there was something about the pacing that was just a little. And now I do listen to podcasts at the faster speed. You can you can adjust that on most your on most devices, and on mine I, I play it at the 1.5 speed, so that's that's a little bit faster than full speed. Full speed would be one. I I play it at 1.5 times. I've I've heard I can go to 
times the speed, and that just seems that's too much. But um, at 1.5, it doesn't to me. It, my wife will hear what I listen to at that speed. She'll say she she gets a little work. Doesn't know how I can how I can do it, but to me it doesn't seem like it affects it much. When I hear it at the at the you know at the hundred percent speed, it seems to me it seems a little slow. But their voices don't sound affected, really. You know, like pitch of voice or anything don't really sound like they're all that affected. And it, it's just I don't know. I can follow along. I just get to listen to. I get more podcasts listened to that way. Uh, and there are some podcasts. There's one in particular. It's called You Must Remember This. Which is a history podcast about Hollywood, and uh, you know movies and that kind of stuff. And the host of that podcast, Karina Longwood, she has a very deliberate delivery to her show. Uh, hers is scripted, and she reads it at a very deliberate pace, and it can feel a bit slow. So listening to it at the one point five pace makes it a little better. But I, my point there, though, is uh, I'm accustomed to listening to the SGU at 1.5. So it's not like my listening to it at the quicker speed is why they seemed like they were amped up. Uh, it, they, they just were. They just were. It was just a little bit. Now, maybe my telling you this, and if you listen to their show, will have you thinking that way. I may have affected you here. But uh, anyway, it just—it was a really cool experiment that they did. I—I uh, I thought that was pretty good, and it will be interesting. Hopefully, I'll remember in 15 years' time. Hopefully, we'll—I'll still be alive, and you know, we'll still be around 15 years from now. Um, you know, what's he? What? Uh, which term would Trump be in by then? His sixth term by then? Is that what that would be? Another 15 years? Let's see. Yeah, something like that. His fourth or fifth term, I don't know, by, by then, uh, as president, or uh, I think by then he'll be king, but uh, nevertheless, uh, anyway, uh, I think it's a terrifically um, uh, interesting episode, uh, they did it really well, so uh, kudos to them, you should check it out, if you haven't listened to the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, you really should, I mean, they really do the skepticism really well, um, it's a good show. Um... Let me see. I do have another podcast I'm going to recommend to you guys. Uh, but I'm going to wait until after I take my first break. How about I do that? When I come back from this next break, I will, uh, I'll give you a little um, recommendation of a, another podcast that you should be listening to. You're listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dimfit Simmons. I will return after this break.
Do you believe in ghosts? Do you think Bigfoot is real? Do you suspect that your neighbor is really Valtor, leader of the lizard people of Bendar 3? Well, Dr. Dim doesn't, and he'll tell you why when you tune in to Dimland Radio Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern on Talk Radio Network. It's an hour of science promotion, pop culture rants, personal observation, and of course, skepticism. Join Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, for Dimland Radio on Talk Radio Network. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio's Red-Headed Stepchild. It's Dr. Dim on Dimland Radio on the Z-Talk Radio Network. We're the station that beats all the competition. And we'll prove it as soon as we hear any competition. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. Welcome back to Dimland Radio here on the Z-Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Boy, these breaks aren't nearly long enough. I barely had a chance to take a couple of swigs of my beer. Ah, jeez. i got to make these breaks longer. You know, like real radio. When they go to commercial, they seem to take, I don't know, 20 minutes before they get back to actual show. And then you get five minutes of show, and then you get back to commercial. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a bit of exaggeration. Uh, anyway... So this other podcast I want to recommend for you guys to listen to. Uh, it also has a skeptical theme. Uh, it's called The Dream. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's wrapping up its second season, or second series, however you want to look at it. Um, and it, the first series was about multi-level marketing opportunities. <laughs> uh, they, I'm not sure how many episodes each season is, something like ten. Um, and they... They look into, you know, they, they, the host of the show is a woman named Jane Marie. She also, there's also a fellow named Dan Gallucci, who uh, co-hosts with her in some capacity. And they, in the first season, they examine multi-level marketing, and that's the, don't call them pyramid schemes, but that's kind of what they look like. Uh, and that's where you, it, it, you're selling some overpriced product, but really uh, that's part of what you do. But the other thing that you do with these people is to get other people to come in and join the company to sell the same product. And they get people to join, to join that company to sell the product. And they get people to join the company and sell the product. And they get people. And the more people that get that you bring in a couple of people and uh, you know, and then they each bring in a couple of people and then those people each bring in a couple of people, you earn money through how many people are that, that you've brought in and how many they bring in. And it kind of, you know, it works coming up in a shape where that kind of looks like a pyramid. Uh, but it's, don't call it a pyramid. It just kind of looks like that. A triangle. That's what it looks like. It looks like a triangle, but don't call it a pyramid. Um, they are, they're just, they're, they're very poor business models. You are essentially um, recruiting people to compete with you. If you're, uh, Brian Dunning was giving an example of, uh, uh, of his of Skeptoid, the podcast Skeptoid. Uh, he was giving an example of uh, um, multi-level marketing, 
in, in, in a video series that he does called In Fact, and he would say that, okay, let's say you, know, you, you start a company where you sell shoes, and part of your job is to get other people in the neighbor to, neighborhood to sell shoes. And so at some point, you get everybody in the neighborhood is selling shoes. Pretty soon you've got everybody selling shoes, but nobody to buy them. Yes, it, it's it's just you're 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 getting people you're recruiting people to compete with you, and that doesn't make any damn bit of sense. Nobody makes any money at those things except for the people at the very 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 top. It's like ninety-seven point no no ninety-nine point seven percent or something like that of the people who join multi-level marketing scams uh schemes uh you know the deals uh, end up losing money, and it's just a very small percentage that make any money at it uh, so they did a series on that now they're wrapping up their second season and the series is about the wellness industry which covers a lot of stuff they touch on our, our favorite Gwyneth Paltrow and her goop series uh, or, or goop website and the, this goop lab that's on the, the Netflix and it's just you know they're not very kind to the kind of bullshit that uh, Gwyneth is, is peddling and um, you know, and they talk about the vitamin industry, and I believe it was Dan Gallucci who was big in the vitamins. He was taking all kinds of vitamin supplements, just he just just lots of them, spending a lot of money on it. And uh, they we learn that uh, Dan uh, um, had talked to a there's a scientist uh, that they have on the show. She's, she knows about nutrition and medicine and supplements and stuff like this. She, you know, and she was she sat down and explained to to Dan that uh, essentially he's just making his pee expensive. It's just you, you don't need all these supplements. Um, if you if you have a a, a, a varied diet, if you have a well balanced diet, you're getting pretty much everything you need. You won't you won't need a supplement. There are some cases where you might, and doctors might say you know might prescribe a supplement for you know a vitamin of some sort for you, or say that maybe you should you know get some over the counter uh, vitamin to take. Uh, some years ago, I had a doctor tell me that I should uh, maybe I should take some calcium supplement and uh, and vitamin D. So I so I started doing that because it was my doctor. And then uh, uh, sometime later, uh, a few years, something like that, I, um, uh, they had me meet with their pharmacist uh, nurse or whatever. I'm not sure exactly what she was. She, she's a pharmacist, and she works with pa patients who are taking medications to check and see, you know, is, are the medications working for you? Is this the best route to go? Uh, and so she, she was going over everything I was taking at the time. Uh, I take a high blood pressure medication. I've done so for a long time. Um, I'm also taking an allergy pill each day because I have a cat. <laughs> uh, and and I w at the time, I was taking a calcium supplement and a vitamin D supplement. And so she was asking me about my diet and such, and she found out that I do drink milk, I eat pizza, I eat stuff with cheese on it. So she came to the decision. She said, well, you know, you're getting calcium in your diet, so let's take you off the... The calcium supplement stay on the vitamin D, but the calcium it seems like it's not necessary. So 
you know, following the advice of my medical professionals who know more about it than I do, and they actually they are actual medical professionals, not chiropractors or or a uh, you know acupuncturists or reflexologists or naturopaths or homeopaths. No, this she's in actual she's in actual science-based medicine kind of stuff. So uh, it's, it's so this series it, it the series both seasons have moments of absolute inf being absolutely infuriating. You just you hear people that get uh, caught up into the multi-level stuff, uh, that gets that get caught into these weird diets or weird, you know, nutrition fads and that, and you just you get angry for them. You feel you know, especially the multi-level marketing thing. So these a lot of times these are people that cannot afford to be wasting the money they're wasting on this stuff, and it, you can and you listen to them and you just you just get mad <laughs> at the at the at the uh, not at them. For being scammed, you get mad at the people who bring them into this stuff, and these companies that, that will do this stuff. So anyway, it's a nice, it's a very well produced podcast. Uh, I think uh, Jane Marie used to uh, work for American Life or This American Life. I think she used to produce stuff for them, um, and so now she's this podcast. It's called The Dream. Look for it by name. Uh, it's very good. It's a very good series, and it might uh, it might get you angry <laughs> when you listen to it. Hopefully it'll help you figure out, oh, I guess I don't need to be doing that. Uh, okay. Um, yeah. The, I think what I'm going to be doing here is, uh, remember last week? Uh, not the entire week. Just my show last week. If you remember the rest of the week, that's great. But I mean my show. And uh, I talked about a new program that's going to be that is on the the Science Channel, and uh, and I I was going by the stuff I had read about the show and the trailers I'd watched about it, and I thought, boy, here we go, uh, this mystery mongering, uh, you know. And I talked about a friend of mine. Didn't say the friend's name. I'm still not going to say the friend's name. But if you watch the first episode, as I did, you'll know who I mean because well, uh, the show was called uh, the it is called the Curse uh, of the Bermuda Triangle. Curse of the Bermuda Triangle. It's on the Science Channel. And last week I talked about how I I made a statement on my friend's. Uh, Facebook comment where he was he, he mentioned that he was part of the show in a small way uh, and uh, and I I, I put in a comment remember when MTV used to play music and I, what I was commenting in that in that way was saying I was kind of saying or trying to suggest the idea remember when the science channel had science <laughs> you know uh, because this, all these cable channels that have started off, you know, like the History Channel went from being showing you, you know, all kinds of variety of history stuff to being pretty much just about Hitler and World War II, and then went to, uh, you know, alien stuff, <laughs> ancient aliens. It's like let's at least let's let's at least back it back to the point where it was all about Hitler, okay. <laughs> Because at least that's some history, unless they're doing Hitler shows and how Hitler was an alien or something. Um, anyway, that's what I was talking about last week. And I thought, well, you know, maybe 
Maybe I'll I'll see if I can watch the show and see how it was. See see what they're doing here. I figured that's probably a good thing to do if you're going to talk about the show. You should probably watch it and just. So I did. Um, I watched the first episode, and the first episode focuses on Flight 19. Uh, does that that may not sound familiar to you, but if you're if you're familiar with the lore of the Bermuda Triangle, at least a little bit, Flight 19 is probably something that you know. Uh, what was Flight 19? Well, in, in late 1945, I think it was in December, um, there was a, tr a, a naval, uh, U.S. Navy flight training mission. Uh, it was the 19th mission of that day. Uh, that's how you know, it was. Just, it was there was a flight that uh, these that was going to be done. They would fly out one way for a bit and then make a turn, fly a bit more, get about halfway along there, drop some bombs, and then make another turn and then head home. And that was what they were supposed to be doing. They're being they're being trained on this particular mission. And there had been 18 previous flights of that mission prior to Flight 19. That's why it was called Flight 19. And they all went off without a hitch. But Flight 19 did not. Now, it was five aircraft were involved. Uh, they were, they're were they called Avenger uh, aircraft. That's, I'm not going to go into the great details of it, but they are called Avenger aircraft, and they're, and they're bombers. They're not the big, big bombers. They're more, they're, they're a little bit bigger than a, a fighter plane from World War II, uh, but they're, but, but they're well smaller than the big bomber planes. But these were bomber planes, and you would have three people crewing each plane. Uh, a pilot, I guess co-pilot, navigator, and, and bomber. So I, I, I'm guessing that's what the three, the three crew members were, were doing. And uh, anyway, so this, so on this, uh, when the flight was supposed to ha take place, um, they 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 all take off. They're, the the leader of this, the trainer guy, was uh, a Lieutenant Charles Taylor. He was 28 years old. Uh, he was uh, he was the instructor, although he wasn't the he wasn't in the lead of the flight. Uh, there was another there was one of the trainees was considered the con considered the flight leader. But he was the instructor. He's just making sure they're doing everything right. He's training these guys. Well, everything went fine through the part where they dropped the bombs, and then they're supposed to head back to base or whatever, uh, and they went off course. And they ended up um, disappearing. Now, they there was there were phone... Uh, not phone. Radio messages back and forth between the planes and between uh, uh, the, 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 the mission, the, the flight, peep, you know, the Taylor and home base, and another pilot was saying, hey, do you want me, I'm hearing you're, 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 you're off course or something, I, I think I know where you are, you want me to come out and help you? Uh, because Taylor was saying that his, his compasses uh, were malfunctioning. Um, it was later stated that they were spinning or something like that, but uh, I, from what I saw of from the, the the rational explanation of what had happened, um, they just said that he said he was having equipment malfunction as far as his navigation stuff. Uh, and anyway, they ended up flying off and not getting to land, and they had to. They were running out of fuel. They had a ditch in the sea. 
It was a heavy aircraft. They sunk. The guys drowned. That's what happened. Where it happened, where they ended up, well, we don't know. But that's what happened. There was nothing in, any mysterious about it other than where they ended up. Why do they want to, of course? Well, I suppose there's a like, some mystery to that. But it's just, you can chalk it up to good old, good old human error. Because that's, that's the investigation, looked through the transcripts, went through it, and it just sounded like human error. And this Taylor guy was not following protocol, uh, and he was not you know, accepting help when offered because he thought he knew where they were. He thought he, they were over the Florida Keys, so he said, well, we got to go east to get back to Florida, to get back to Flor Fort Lauderdale, because we're over the Keys, and they were not over the Keys. And they ended up just going out, out to sea, and, yeah, so then they, they go down. But it, it becomes part of this lore of the Bermuda Triangle, which was, is not really a thing. I know I mentioned this last week that you know the triangle is this area of the of the um, you know in the Caribbean area of the of the world uh, in the Atlantic Ocean and down down there uh, and it's it, you know, it's a 500,000 square mile area but it conveniently will expand to bring in other disappearing flights and and sinking ships or whatever so that it can be part of the lore but it's 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 really it's a high traffic area of the of the ocean. Uh, it, it and it also can get some pretty rough seas regularly. So it's it, it it when they look at it and they say you know there really aren't that many more sinking ships or than in any other similarly trafficked area of the, any of the oceans around the world. So it's just it's really not much of a mystery. It's not there's not really anything there, but somehow uh, it, it there was a magazine I think called Argosy in the mid '60s, and whoever wrote this article, there was some stirrings about this area, and the whoever wrote that article was the one that coined the the term the Bermuda Triangle, and then in 1974 this this fellow named Charles Berlitz wrote this book about the Bermuda Triangle, and he just he jimmed up all kinds of nonsense about it. He made up some of the radio transcript messages that just weren't there. He just kind of made it more exciting. Maybe that's where the spinning uh, compass dials uh, part came from. I don't know. Uh, but it's, it's... So it's just... There's just nothing there. Um, anyway, I'll get more into it, into the actual show, uh, when I come back from this next break. You're listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. I will return shortly. Listening to Z Talk Radio Network. I am living on Channel Z. 
When, oh when, will someone design an exploding head emoticon? Please, someone, anyone. You're listening to Dimland Radio on Z-Talk Radio Network. Have you ever wondered what skeptics are up to in countries where English is not necessarily the first language? Or are you interested to learn about some fascinating and sometimes very bizarre Europe-related facts, events or people from history of skepticism? Or do you just want to know who's been really wrong lately? You can find out all about that and more on the award-winning show The ESP, the, the European, European Skeptics, Skeptics Podcast. Podcast. So, where can people find the show? You can find it online at theesp.eu, but you can also follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, or like us on Facebook. Oh, and you can contact the show by sending an email to info at theesp.eu. If you want to subscribe, do a quick search for the European Skeptics Podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get to your podcast. The European Skeptics Podcast. The, the real ESP experience. experience. We'll all be hornswoggled. You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network. You don't say. Oh, what? You think you went off to college or something? On ztalkradio.com. That's the most amazing thing since Grandma survived the outhouse incident. Welcome back to Dimland Radio here on the, re- uh, the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. I, I had a burp come up just as I was supposed to start talking. <laughs> that probably threw me off just a little bit there. I, hope, I, 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 I did manage to get it out before I had to start talking, but uh, yeah, anyway. Um, okay, so Curse of the Bermuda Triangle. I've not watched a lot of these types of shows. Watched bits and pieces of them. I've seen some other reality TV type shows, and they, they, they you know, there's the stuff that they do that I've come to recognize that okay, this is, you know, this is, these are the tropes that these shows go through. Uh, they start off with a segment, you know, with a, uh, with the the there's a there's a there's a narrator to the show or an announcer, however you want to look at it. And uh, they're they're setting it up about what's they're billboarding what they're going to be doing on this particular episode, which is again it's all focusing on Flight 19, and and it's about uh, these four intrepid investigators, uh, these uh, four fellows, middle-aged dudes. Uh, they have a couple of them have military background, or maybe all of them do. Uh, one was a, in law enforcement. Uh, there's ones that's uh, it's, he's an engineer. Uh, somehow they know all each, each other, and they they banded together to get out there and solve the mystery of the Bermuda Triangle, which again, is there a mystery there? I don't think there's a mystery there. It's just high traffic part of the ocean, gets rough seas, 
Ships sink, planes crash, divers drown. And sometimes they're not found. It's just okay. You know, doesn't make it mysterious. Anyway, so, and they all seem like they're pretty decent fellows. Uh, they're serious about what they're doing. Um, you know, they believe in what they're doing. You know, this isn't anything, this isn't anything kind of you know, like they're just, oh, here's a way to become famous. No, they, they really think there's a mystery to solve and they're going to try and their best to do it. Um, the thing is, okay, so the beginning of the show, they show the little segments that are going to be coming up. And uh, the last of which is going to be, um, they 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 show you a World War II looking aircraft that they find on the bottom of the ocean. So you think, ooh, did they find Flight 19? Of course, I saw that and I said, ooh, they're going to make people think they found Flight 19, which of course they didn't because if they had found Flight 19. Flight 19 is a fairly famous enough thing that news organizations around the world would have not waited until these guys had finished producing their show to show that they found Flight 19. So we know from the very beginning. You know, it's just like that the, the series Finding Bigfoot, or as I have always called it and others have called it, Not Finding Bigfoot. You know at the beginning of each season of that show, they're not going to find Bigfoot. Because if... Because if Bigfoot was discovered, that would be news. And news would not wait until some reality TV show on one of the learning channels or, or Discovery channels or the Nat Geo channel or the Sci-Fi channel or any of those channels. They wouldn't wait until they aired on there. The, the news would spread. And even if they tried to keep it secret so they could drop this on people, there's a lot of people involved in making these shows. There's no way it would stay quiet. Somebody would talk, and the news would get out that, hey, Flight 19 has been found. Well, since I'm pretty sure Flight 19 hasn't been found, and I was as I sat down to watch this, I knew they weren't going to find Flight 19, but I'm getting ahead of myself. All right, so the guys, um, um, the, the show starts, and they're finding, they're, they're explaining how, you know, their background, and one of the guys says that, you know, he's been... He's been involved in, in this Bermuda Triangle thing for 35 years. He hasn't disappeared. Wouldn't it be... Now, I don't wish this on these guys. Because, again, they seem like they're nice guys. And they have family and all that. But wouldn't it be neat if they disappeared? You know? It's like, well, we were going to finish the series, but the guys just disappeared. <laughs> they were in the Bermuda Triangle, and gone they went. <laughs> we can't find them. I hope that doesn't happen. I really do. I hope that doesn't happen. But it would be... you know, Boy, just think of the ratings. Um, anyways, they, they, they go and, uh, uh, as the show starts, um, they go and talk to an expert. And this is where my friend comes in. And he's introduced as an author and an expert on the Bermuda Triangle. Um, I, I, yes, he is an author. He's written, uh, a f he's written a few books. Um... But his being a Bermuda Triangle expert was news to me. I've known the guy for about 25 years. That was news to me. Now, to be fair, uh, over the last few years, we haven't been very active with each other. It's usually just through Facebook, occasional chat here, or comment on each, 
you know each other's posts once in a while, but no, nothing nothing really in deep. Uh, but I've and, and I don't believe we've ever had any kind of substantive conversation about the Bermuda Triangle in which he regaled me with his expertise. He may have come by this expertise in the time you know more recently. You know, read a couple books about it which I don't see that makes you an expert, but who knows? Maybe he is, just kept it to himself. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I, he, none of his books that he's written had anything to do with the Bermuda Triangle, so I, I don't know. But he's, that's why he was touted that he was an expert on this. I thought, okay. All right, here we go. And the, to, to be fair to this show, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Um... Two, two of the fellows go and meet with my friend, and they're talking about possible reasons that Flight 19 went missing. Uh, my friend says, well, there's people that believe in you know, alien abduction. Well, you, look, you get a reaction shot from the two guys of the hunting team, and they just look like, yeah, yeah, no. And then there's this thing called electronic fog, and that's, that's this phenomenon that takes place where... Uh, the the equipment on these on these on these craft you know either you know, the the ships or planes just go wild and they don't work right because they reach some, something weird is happening there's no real explanation for electronic fog it's just some made up bullshit just, this isn't happening and there were five airplanes involved did the other you know when they said that the compass wasn't working. Did, did, were the compasses not working in the other aircraft? So anyway, and then he's, he, so he's you know he's he, he, that's what he gives them. He says you can dismiss the supernatural aspect of it if you want. So that little visit they had with him seemed, um, I'm sorry to say, kind of pointless and a little silly. But it it, it did set up that these guys weren't going to buy the supernatural explanation. Uh, my friend did say that the that the the fellow who you know this tailor tried to beg out of the mission felt like he had a premonition that things are going to go wrong. Well, that might have come from this Berlitz fellow because what I've learned from at least from Brian Dunning in his Skeptoid episode, which I linked to last week, I'll link to it again, and you can get to those links by going to dimland.com and clicking on the show notes. Click on show notes. Um, uh, and you'll get to the show notes. Um, it, Brian Dunning, you know, the transcript apparently had nothing said nothing about, or, or, or the information given said he had he wasn't talking about having a premonition. But maybe there was something Dunning decided not to say, just to leave that out. I don't know. But he did show up late, and he did try to beg out of it. But his commanding officer said, "No, you're going to do this." We also did find out that uh, that uh, Taylor had gotten lost twice before. During the during the war, as he was a pilot uh, in the Pacific, and he had to ditch twice, so he may not have been the best pilot. Why was he an instructor? I don't know. Would the Navy screw up like that? Maybe. <laughs> so okay, so those guys they're not really sold on this idea. There's another guy that they talk to, and this guy saying, "Oh, electronic fog." That's you know, no, no, no. Here's here's what I think happened. There's this thing called hypoxia. That's where you have oxygen deprivation and your brain doesn't work right. 
and and one of the things about hypoxia is that the people that are experiencing it may not even know they're experiencing it so maybe that's why he was refusing help he, he knew what he was doing i'm overland now i know where i am no worries don't worry you don't have to come after me this you know so maybe the hypoxia was affecting him was it affecting the other fellows because <clears throat> one of the other people that he was training one of the other pilots said uh, where's the quote i wrote it down he, he said quote damn it if we would just fly west we wouldn't get home head west damn it was one of the things they said you see in that area of the world if the, if if you're flying and you get lost you are told to head to 270 degrees head 270 degrees or into the sun whichever works for you if you're if you don't know what 270 degrees is your equipment isn't working just head to the sun and you will go over land you will get over land you won't have to ditch at sea you'll get over land you know and then you might be able to find your way um, but they didn't do that and that's what one of his trainees was saying, well, let's just go west, damn it. <laughs> so, okay. So they thought maybe this hypoxia thing was a thing. So they decided, well, let's do an experiment. So they go to some place where they can get into a hyperbaric chamber and they can be uh, put into the condition of hypoxia and try to do some tasks and see how well they do. And it's funny. And the uh, two members of the team go in and do it and they can't, they, they can't function. And the other two members are watching. They're laughing. And it's great and it's funny. And, but the only thing is, before they even got into the chamber, I'm sitting watching this and I'm raising my hand and I'm saying, excuse me, excuse me, uh, excuse me, um, was Flight 19 flying high enough for hypoxia to even be a problem? Isn't it you have to fly at a certain altitude? Isn't that the thing? Well, they did ask that question, but only after they went through the hyperbaric chamber experiment. So they, so they, so they ended up, you know, okay, it could have been this, this because we, boy, we sure couldn't do what we were supposed to do. The only thing is, they knew they couldn't do it. It wasn't like, they say the hypoxia says that, they, that they, you don't realize that your, your brain is messing up. But these guys did realize their brains were messing up. Now, they were being cued by their friends uh, you know, that uh, you guys are screwing up you know that because laughing about it so so maybe that's why they realized they were screwing up but anyway so they go to uh, there's a naval museum that used to be part of that air, the air base that used to be there so there there's a museum there and there's a fellow there who's an expert on the Navy and the and pilots and, and planes and the history and all this kind of stuff and they talk to this guy and it's this guy that they asked would Flight 19 be flying at an altitude high enough for hypoxia to be a problem? And the guy says, no. <laughs> uh, the altitude has to be 10,000 feet for it to become a problem. Uh, they, were, they wouldn't have been flying any higher than 3,000 feet. So, it wouldn't even, so that wouldn't even be a problem. Ah, but don't get, don't get your knickers in a twist because they had a second possibility. Carbon monoxide poisoning. Because they, they did find out from the hyperbaric people that carbon monoxide poisoning can have the same sorts of symptoms. So maybe that's what was going on. So they asked the expert about these planes and all that, and they said, could it have been carbon monoxide? That was the problem. And he said, that's eh, doubtful. And he shows them, he has a scale you know, model of the plane, and he shows the exhaust comes off, you know, down here below and it's designed the exhaust will come out and go under the wings of the plane and it's well down from where the cockpit is so the 
you know, getting carbon monoxide in that way just doesn't seem like that could happen. They did ask, though, they said, well, within the engine chamber, is it possible that carbon monoxide could be leaking within there and getting in somehow into the cockpit? Is that possible? And the guy says, well, it's possible. So they have their, well, that may be it. But again, to give these guys credit, these are not mysterious things. These are not mysterious explanations for why Flight 19 got lost. These are real-world explanations. I think it was human error. The guy didn't know where he was, thought he was somewhere else, corrected that their, their path, judged, uh, judging uh, or basing it on that erroneous knowledge that he thought he had. He thought he knew where they were. He made corrections to their course that took them away from, you know, from where they needed to go. But he, you know, because he was not, they were not where they thought they were. So they just go out to sea and they ditch. Uh, so then the teaser at the beginning where they show this aircraft on the bottom of the ocean. It's, it's in silhouette pretty much. You know, so you just see the shape of it. And so, okay. They, the way the show presents it, they say, okay, now the guys, they, they ask this, this naval expert guy, where do you think Flight 19 ended up? And he gives his idea. And I think these fellas had, had an idea where they might have ended up too. And they had this speculation that maybe maybe they split up. Maybe there was a kind of a mutiny because, uh, because there was this, this argument in between them that maybe they weren't, you know, that maybe some said, you know, screw it, we're going this way. And so maybe that happened, but there's, from what I understand, there's no indication that that happened. Uh, they're just speculating. Maybe they split up. So the guys head out to this area where they think there might be an air, you know, the aircraft might be. And it, it, the way it's presented in the show, it's like the next day they hop on their boat, nice boat, and the four of them go out and they have one of these little drone remote things to go down into the water and with a camera in it to look around. And it's 180 feet deep to the to the bottom, and they find this thing, and it's definitely they're looking at it, and on their little on their on their smartphone, and they're sitting on the on the on the on the on the on the, on the, on the boat that they're in, and they're in direct sun, and and they're looking, they're having a hard time seeing it, but boy, it looks like it could be, uh, it's, it's the shape seems right, and I'm saying, guys, go sit next to the pilot of the boat because he's under the canopy, you won't have to fight the sun. But then they, okay, fine, they, 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 they go to their lab and they look at the video footage up, up on a bigger screen and they look at it and they say, wow, you know, there it's where the, the, the landing gear would fold into the wings. And that's, oh yeah, it's definitely a World War II era plane. It's definitely, oh, and they're really excited. And one of the fellows says, oh, wait a minute, guys. And he takes out this picture. He has pictures of, of the actual, the, the aircraft, the Avenger craft that they that flight 19 was made up of and he and he shows them he says well you know we're looking at the belly because this the the plane that was on the on the bottom of the ocean that they found um was was belly up so they're looking at it and it's, it's too it's too narrow it's too flat uh the the avenger craft has uh it looks like if it if it's laying on its back it would look like a pregnant guppy it would have this big opening in the belly there's a big bubble on the belly, and there's an opening where 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 um, uh, members of the flight crew can crawl in in there. That's what it's meant for. So it, oh, it's it's not an Avenger. Oh, they're all disappointed. Oh, and then you know, well, the search continues. It's a mystery. We don't know where it went. <laughs> so 
And again, I, you know, I was right from the beginning. They're not going to find it because if they did find Flight 19, that would be news, and it would have been out before the show came out. And so I watched that. So I wanted to mention um, the difference between skepticism and and cynicism, and being cynical. Because there's, I have a moment where I could be cynical about this end part here this finding this airplane because they found that airplane like that it was just boom next day they hop on the boat we're going to go to this area where we think there might be an aircraft and boom there's a world war ii aircraft they find one and i thought huh that was that was rather quick <laughs> that didn't seem to take all that long now they could have edited it and done it in such a way to make it look like it was fairly quick that they found it uh, but the, the cynic in me was saying, did they know that that plane was there? Did they know this? Because there are areas of the ocean where it's known where wreckage is. There's, there's areas, yeah, and, and that you can find that wreckage. There, there are. And, and I, could these guys really have just stumbled upon this or did they know it was there and maybe maybe they they knew there was an aircraft there and it was a world war ii era aircraft so maybe they knew that much of it but they didn't know what kind of it was so let's go out and take a look at it and they just presented it as though hey we found an aircraft and it seems about right maybe that was it maybe hmm you know i thought about the titanic the titanic the titanic sunk in, in 1912, and it was found in 1985. It took 73 years to find it, and they pretty much knew the general areas of where it was. And they were able, it, took, it took 73 years. Now, part of it is you know, the, that part of the ocean might be much more treacherous to try to find something. It could be deeper, and also the equipment wasn't quite ready until... 1985 and this is much you know much more closer to this time but you know it's been since 1945 and we still haven't found flight 19 i thought what are the chances that these guys just there it is well obviously it wasn't flight 19 so being cynical i thought did they did they know that there was a craft and they just built this up to make it look as though hey we found something and let's you know because they do all the stuff that these shows do where they 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 tease you about it and then they go to commercial and then they come back and then they update you they they redo you know they retell you about the stuff that they you just found out in the in the segment before they quickly re catch you up to speed and then they they show this and so I'm just I just watched that and I thought now I'm going to give the guys the benefit of the doubt I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt because I don't know if they're that that they're that good of actors uh, because they were really excited when they found it and they were they really did seem disappointed when they figured out that oh no this isn't this isn't one of the flight the type of aircraft that we would expect down there. Uh, you can watch it and see for yourself, but I, I as I said it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Uh, the mystery continues. They didn't find Flight 19. It would have been a much better documentary type show if they were just, look, we're going to go look for Flight 19. And we're going to follow whatever leads we can follow to find it. But we're not going to dangle any of these paranormal, supernatural carrot explanations in front of you. We're, maybe we'll try to figure out why it is they went off other than just being human error. Um, but it's just, yeah... You know, I'm kind of, I think there's a documentary about how they found the Titanic. 
and that's not it doesn't take in any of this silliness of supernatural that you know electronic fog <sighs> anyway it it wasn't as bad as it could have been i guess but yeah good night doctor good night frau blucher and he's an expert on the bermuda triangle since when Anyway, well, I, I should ask him. Anyway, uh, uh, I've come to another end of another episode. Be skeptical. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Uh, this has been Dimland Radio on the Sea Talk Radio Network, and I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, reminding you to sleep with the lights off. Oh, and I got to change this bit that's going to come up, but I haven't got around to it yet. Sorry. You can check out my show notes at dimland.com. Just click on the blog option. And you can email your questions and comments to drdim at dimland.com. That's D-R-D-I-M at dimland.com. And the opening theme song, Ram, is by Theolius and is used with permission. Production of the Z Talk Radio Network. And now a message to our competitors. Thanks. Thanks for tuning us in. What did you think of tonight's installment of Dimland Radio? Wow. Wow. Well, well I'm going well, to hell. hell.